What happens when you combine the most innovative, eccentric and charismatic leaders, disruptors and founders from tech with the pedigree and history of one of the most established institutions within the City of London? Season four of the Searching for Mana podcast will be produced in partnership with the London Stock Exchange and will represent one of the most exciting collaborations in the tech space. I'm Lloyd Warhead, the host of Searching for Mana. We're going to be interviewing some of the leaders, influencers and disruptors in the tech space, where I'm going to be trying to dig in and find out what's their mana, their superpower, their magic. I'm more than a trifle excited about the next stage of this journey, and I hope you'll be joining me. Welcome on to Searching for Mana, Rudolf. Thank you, Lloyd. Happy to be here. Pleasure to have you on the show. How was the pronunciation? That was good. Rudolf? That's perfect. Almost French. Thank you very much. Rudolf Odden, the founder and CEO with Spendesk. Um, incredibly exciting updates recently. Big round, um, 100 million raise with uh, some of the leading venture capitalists in the world, such as Tiger Global, who are uh, absolutely on it at the moment. So very interested to go into how that raise was with them. Um, the business at the moment, just for some Context has over 400 staff in multiple European territories. And I think at the core of it, um, trying to help SME, small, medium enterprise businesses uh, manage their expenses and finances a lot more also. So I'd like to, to start with, get you to explain to the audience, you know, what a spender you're doing right now and what you're up to. Happy to. Um, the mission of Spendesk, what we are doing is how we can help businesses and liberate them uh, among with their employees from all the constraints uh, that comes with payments. Um, how we enable people to access the payments method of the company when they need it, you know, whatever the payment method can be, whatever the use case can be, they need to purchase online, they need to purchase on the ground if they are traveling, uh, in a way where they would be autonomous with the company money while providing finance team with all the control, all the compliance, uh, all the automation that they need to get their job done. So this is what we do, we build this uh, seven-in-one spend management platform that really encompass every process when it comes to managing or spending the company money that really create this collaboration between the operational team, the guys that need to purchase for their company, and the finance team that need to control where the company money is going. Which, when you say it like that, um, feels uh, so obvious and such a efficiency how could companies possibly not have operated with a spend desk previously? But I assume the case is that they didn't. Um, how did you see that opportunity? How obvious was it that this solution would be adopted? I think I had two Kafkaesque uh, or enlightening moments uh, in, my, in my previous career. The first one was when my first company was acquired by a bigger uh, French company. 20,000 people, so large organization. Uh, I had this situation where we had to always find workaround around the finance process, which are very rigid and were not enabling 
the operational agility that we were thinking, uh, uh, seeking when we were purchasing things. And honestly, Lloyd, at that time I was, you know, I was thinking, okay, this is big company stuff. It's not for me. I'm going back to the agile world. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I moved to a company called Drivey where I was yeah. handling finance, small company like the agility here. You know, you have this operational efficiency yeah. with a lot of empowerment. And you were the COO there. I was a CEO yeah. and I had the finance team in my scope. And, and I understood how much this agile wor uh, working culture, you know, this distributed ownership was totally chaotic. Uh, from a financial perspective, so we had no view towards who was spending, who was who were spending what uh, in the company. Uh, unlimited amount of time spent on you know getting receipt, invoice, ensuring the compliance towards where the company money was doing, and so basically we were losing control uh, on the on the money of the company. And Rod, that, uh, what for context, what roughly year was that? It was in two, 213, 214. Did you have things like zero at this point starting to come in? Yeah, we had yeah, we had the accounting solution. Yeah. The accounting was not the problem. The problem was more about how we enable people. You know, we come from this uh, very startups culture at that time where everyone can make decisions on the business. So I remember in these early days, everyone had the car number of the CEO, so they could make purchase very quickly without being blocked. Right? Yeah. This is the kind of operational agility that you want to have in the early days because there are so much things to do and you need to move very fast. As you grow, you start losing control. Everyone is spending the company money, but there is no context uh, and you cannot track it and finance team cannot do their job. So basically you're losing control. And what we did is what every company is doing and you start centralizing this process, saying, saying to the team, hey, no, Finance own the payments method. You need yeah. to come to finance to make a spending, etc. And that's why I came highly frustrated just because, you know, uh, I believe in this kind of working culture, but it didn't work for finance. Whereas it worked for all the other functions of the company, engineering. You've got, you know, version control like Git, allowing you to uh, develop autonomously features and collaboratively with the rest of yeah. the team. Sales, same, marketing, the same, but for finance, not the case. And, and that's why I was thinking, okay, maybe we've got Payment is not working so much uh, in the workplace. And I start interviewing finance leaders, finance people, just you know, to, to, to understand if there was a problem. And I learned, I learned two critical things at that time, showing me that there was a very strong opportunity to solve. Yeah. Uh, the first one is no one, absolutely no one, were satisfied by their payment experience at work. It's like, you know, in our private life, payment, it's seamless, it's transparent, it's flexible. You, I don't know if it's a good thing, but you don't even see payment nowadays, right? You just click on a button, you've got things delivered to you at your home. You don't see payment anymore. At work, it's tedious, it's bureaucratic, it's cumbersome. It's like it's it's really a new new something that you you're not used to. I mean, and, I mean, you say that when when I pulled into um, the uh, the station, came off the Eurostar this morning, and then uh, got a taxi which clearly just took me around the block to here <laughs> <laughs> and charged me 58 euros from there. That's 100 yards away. Um, we had to go to a cash point because sum up, the payment solution wasn't working because he couldn't get reception. But I know what you mean, 99% of the time, uh, it's, it's very seamless. And I, I, I've set up many SME businesses um, and, I, I, and I feel this pain 
where you have delegated authorities. So I was the CEO of a small business previously, but I have to go through my finance function for, for certain types of expenses where it feels like a strategic decision to do it now. And then if that finance person doesn't get to it to the next day, you might have missed the opportunity. It's absolutely bonkers. It is, it is. So this payment experience really sucks. And the second thing I learned, I learned at that time is that everyone was telling me, you know, it sucks, but that's the norm. We are used to it. You expect when you enter to a, a company to have this process for expense management, yeah. this process for purchase management, going to the finance team to get an invoice paid, going to the finance team to get a card to make a payment. So that's, it shows that there is a pain and everyone is working in a status quo. So, okay, let's change. Let's try if you can find a, a new way of doing things. And what was Pendas was in the early days saying, okay, oh, we can rebuild this process, integrating the financial technology, so the payments method into this process to empower people to access them in the company in a professional context. So money needs control. It's, it's how we enable people to spend money which is not theirs, right? It's, it's always a, when we think about this, it's, money is emotional. It's something that we need to have control on. If you're asking yourself, Lloyd, who who would you give full access to your bank account from your closest friends? It's like, okay, maybe not, right? It's the same for a business. So how we can put this level of control in a very distributed way? Yeah. And I'm, you mentioned there's several different types of streams to the full platform. I'm assuming visualization is one of the massively useful things as well. So do you have different levels of authority where, let's say, uh, for me, for the business that I, I operate, um, I'm able to set different types of controls for different departments um, and I can visually see how things are moving on a daily basis. Yeah, so basically what you want to do is money, it's a constrained resource, right? If your business go out of money, you go out of business. Uh, so you need to, how you can provide for every buyer in the company, your employees, people working with you, the context on the decision they make when they need to make a purchase. Uh, because if you make this type of purchase, it may means that someone else in the company cannot make this type of purchase. So it all comes from the budget that you allocate to them. And then you link to this budget all the payments method, being a cards payment, being uh, an expense reimbursement, being uh, supplier invoice payments that are linked in real time into this budget. So people have this autonomy, they've got the full context, but yeah. all these financial data goes directly to the finance team with the high level of control. Approval flows, if you need, depending on your working culture, saying, okay, this is the budget owner, so this person needs to have a yes or a no if you can or cannot spend this type of, uh, this type of purchase. Uh, and really getting all these flows into a single one that finance can automate and manage directly into your accounting software, your ERP, your zero, yeah. uh, or your Sage. So Rob, that feels uh, incredibly logical. Um, you find yourself in this 20,000 person corporate that you've been inquired into as an entrepreneur at that point. Um, so it takes a certain type of person to then have the conviction that you can go do it. Could you, uh, so we understand the concept but could you explain the journey of then actually breaking free, taking that risk, going and doing it? How did you do that? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, the approach that we had at the beginning, so maybe first thing, uh, 
before starting solving this problem, I really thought deeply, having been an entrepreneur once, why, why I would <laughs> like to restart a business, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, we know that the entrepreneurial journey is not an easy one. It's list, kind list, of a roller coaster. List the but... top three reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, Sleep. <laughs> Sanity. <laughs> but it was clear to me that I, I wanted to restart a business for, at the end for two main reasons. One, if I had the opportunity to really make a difference, and by make a difference is trying to build a new standard on something, creating a new norm, it's something that really excited me. Uh, and when we're thinking about payment, it's saying, okay, if we can create the new standard of payment at work, you know, by standard, I really mean when we look backwards saying, oh, how we did in the past, right? You become the standard, do you become the new norm? And this is the ambition of what we want to do at Spendesk. And the second one was, Okay, I want to restart a business to have the opportunity to really create a great organization. Someone, you know, the kind of company you're very proud of, and when, when you spend time in this company, you look back on and say, oh, you know, these two years, three years, five years I spent in this company was just the best moment of my professional career. So I wanted that the space and the problem we solve could be one, a big problem, but very huge to have this capacity to build a new standard, not knowing if we were going to, uh, you know, to, 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 to reach that at that time, but really thinking, okay, I want to spend time, effort, energy to at least try. And so when we started with, okay, this concept saying, okay, payment at work sucks, uh, there is a status quo, let's reinvent the new way, so creates this new standard. You cannot have a holistic approach saying, okay, I'm going to solve everything from day one. So the approach we had was, uh, let's take every use case when someone needs to spend the company money uh, and solve this use case in a very good way. And the first use case that we started to solve was online purchasing. Yeah. Online purchasing, just because this is something that didn't exist much 15 years ago, so it's not adapted to the traditional finance process. Yeah. It pissed finance teams off because you know you, you need to have a card to pay online and card is something you cannot control. And so when, when company grows, they tend to put constraint on that saying, okay, no more online payments because we cannot control them. So you ask your suppliers an invoice, eh, it doesn't work, it's just a website, I need to click on a button, but I still need to get these goods and services. And that's the first opportunity we started to tackle, and that's what created the MVP, so the minimum vi viable product yeah. uh, for Spendesk. And then we go through our vision, step by step, by solving every different use case where an employee or a budget owner need to access or to pay for their company. And from the two, um, clear objectives that you had for why you would found a business again. One is what you've just talked through and the process of successfully tranching into the space. And then the other was to have a company and a culture that you'd be really proud of separately, which has been harder. The two goals for me, I don't have a goal that is a priority amongst the other one. The two are very, the one is more about the what, the ambition where we want to, what's the collective achievement that we want to achieve, uh, that we want to have. The second one is more the how. Who are we? What is our identity? Yeah. What type of business we want to be? When we make decisions, what kind of trade-off are we ready to make? Have you read um, Creativity Inc? No. Oh, it's an incredible book. Um, I will uh, put the book in the show notes and send one to you. It's um, it's the story of um, the Pixar studio, uh, which is obviously very famous because Steve Jobs was a collaborator in, in building this. Um, 
But actually, what's incredible about it is really how little they talk about the stories we know and the, 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 the genius that went on on that side and how much it talks about the organization and how they uh, build it so that collaboration and creativity was just deeply rooted in the values. I walked around your, uh, your, your amazing offices here in Paris uh, and I see books laid out in different, uh, on different tables and immediately I'm like, okay, this is interesting. There's some very strong values here that are being represented and put around. Um, could, you, could you talk us through some of those? What are some of your really uh, strong values and beliefs that makes this culture great? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge believer of working culture that uh, rely on at least two main principles. One is trust, and the second one is freedom. By trust, I believe in working culture that really empower people to make decisions on their scope and on the business. And it comes back to what our product does, right? Is how we can empower people with the company money. So that's the type of working culture that we want to support. The second one, by freedom, I mean how we can remove all the constraints that people have that just prevent them to be efficient in their job. So that's, that's the overall philosophy of the type of organization how we work together uh, that we are building. In terms of who we are at Spendless, we've got uh, you know, cultural pillars or value uh, that we try to uh, embed into our operating system. And one is uh, the ownership, the sense of power of decision making and how we empower people to make decisions on their business, make decisions on their scope. Second one is about the, the, um, the ambition, huh? going back uh, to the first goal, what we want to build together. So really the, the kind of bold objectives or how we're stretching ourselves to at least try uh, achieving something. The way how we work is really about caring, uh, a, a very strong sense of culture of service. The culture of service for me, Lloyd, is how you, in the actions you do, in the behaviors you have, you always think about the outcome of the person you serve, being your customers, your teammates, um, your partners. And the first one is, you know, the journey, and it really resonates with the entrepreneur journey. It's not an easy one. Uh, it's a tough one, going from a white page with the ambition of creating a multi-billion dollar business, uh, it's going to be totally against the heart. So new things are going to break, new problems will arise every day. Uh, so the, the, the choice of getting a positive mindset, so as I think yeah. an optimist one, is something that we, that, that we, we encompass. It's Absolutely. Today. I think I spend um, a lot of my time um, trying to coach mindset more than anything else in the business I have, where uh, we're trying to collaborate, we're trying to serve our partners, similar types of things, earlier phase than yours. <laughs> um, but uh, it's that mentality of always trying to look at everything as an opportunity to improve your systems. Uh, you can't let it get you down. You have to appreciate there's gonna be struggle along the way. You're building something, right? You're putting something new into the ether that uh, should you know, level up what has experienced before, like you say, a new standard of payments for companies. What would be really great, Rod, is to now understand you as the person, and um, perhaps that will give us an insight into, uh, you know, where the, um, I mean, so far, incredible success has come from, but also, you know, the conviction that you can go do this. And so we were talking before, uh, before recording uh, about um, your childhood. Uh, so perhaps if we could start, start there, because, um, 
you know, it's uh, it's a good um, it's a good way for the audience to understand a bit about you. So, really, the first time that you started to think about who you might be and what you might do when you grew up. That's a very good question. I had um, so I'm the second of four. Um, my father used to work in a bank. <laughs> it's, uh, what type uh, of bank? At BNP Paribas, so oh, retail nice. bank. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> retail bank. International carrier. So we moved, you know, every three years from a country to another one. Yeah, amazing. Uh, with okay. the whole family. Interesting. Which was great as, yeah. as a kid because you Favorite discover. Place? Uh, so we lived in Italy, then in Greece, then in Tunisia, then back to France. Uh, it's hard to say favorite because you've got you 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 link the different countries uh, with a specific age of your childhood, which yeah. are very different, you <laughs> know, right? True. Teenage age is not, yeah. is not kids' age. Did you pick up the languages? I did, I lost them. Yeah. <laughs> but still, that's uh, it comes back. very good It comes for back quickly. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it comes back quickly. Cool. Um, as a kid, I don't know, you know, as a kid, I think I, I always liked solving problems, and particularly for others. Uh, I grew up with um, an autistic brother, so uh, maybe this sense of service and uh, how I can solve for the others came some some all from that. Uh, you, you have, of course, um, different different ranges. What um, with your brother, um, and and so it's it's often um talked about isn't it that people with autism can also have exceptional focus and incredibly bright and really great memory retention but then some of the side that i think could um could be lower is emotional intelligence what did you find like with your brother what 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 was the i think it's uh, it's hard to put generalities on my experience uh, i live different uh, I was not. It was not the same. But my friends, etc. You know, when you bring friends to house, you have to to explain. You have to say, hey, you know, my brother is not like everyone. Yeah. Uh, so it, it creates a, a, a position as a kid where you you are very curious and you are very open uh, on the others. Is this a skill that you develop? I don't know. Um, but when we, we when we went back to France, all the family, the fact that we uh, we had this, you know, particular uh, family setup, and that we moved around many different countries. Um, yeah, it created, I think, a sense of curiosity that I didn't find much uh, in the teammates or schoolmates that I, you know, from people that were uh, just staying at the same place since since the younger ages. But to go back on your question, when I started to think about entrepreneurship and building my business, I think it was really an engineering school when I started to think, oh, okay, I can build things, yeah. uh, I can code things, I can build product, I can, you know, uh, I can't put ideas into motions and starting to see, okay, what would be the impact of this idea? Was there what an inspiration be? at that point? Because your father obviously has a, a great, but a, a, a corporate career, let's yeah. say, at BNP. Yeah. Um, you have this experience where moving around countries or moving around schools tends to allow, from what I've seen, from the trends across many interviews, people to have that outside perspective on things. You see this with a lot of entrepreneurs. It's really interesting. But often also there's some something or someone to emulate. Like why would you do this? So you've got engineering. Engineering is amazing at teaching you in your hands. You can create something. There's output on the other side of your actions. 
Was there something at that point that was really cool to you and made you inspired to be an entrepreneur? I think friends uh, at that time in the engineering campus. We were strong builders and I was more, you know, very theoretical in my approach. Uh, love math, etc. But I, I understood that, oh, we could put something into motion. motion. And, and I, I found people with a very entrepreneurial mindset and I was very excited by the kind of project we could build together. And that's, I think, the moment, the tipping point. And that's, you know, just after school, I created the first business with yeah. a friend from school. So, and we, you know, at school we were working on the uh, startup love kind of project. Uh, but it was the beginning of this motion. And talking to anybody in the audience who might be, you know, in or just out of education and entrepreneurial, which has become more and more popular uh, right now. Uh, and I always think that um, if you have a deep technical skill set. Um, then you can go do this immediately, potentially. Uh, if it's disrupting something in professional services, you typically are better off to go work in a company and experience what the landscape is to be able to disrupt. But you just went out the calf with an engineering skill set. What would you recommend to the audience from that lesson? Or maybe it was the best thing to do, you know? Or, or would you say, actually, I could have taken a different path? We made, I think we made all the mistakes that engineers can do in building the first business, huh? <laughs> uh, honestly, <laughs> at that time. Uh, the biggest one, which is still the most common one, huh? building a very thorough technical solution that we enjoyed developing because it was challenging, etc. That was not solving any business problem. Uh, uh, but this is the most classical one. Um, um, but that's where we learned. I don't have a recommendation. I think. You know, when we created our first company, things didn't went as expected. We pivoted three times before finding the right business model and the right idea, and then everything went very fast and we got acquired, etc. But the first two experiments were like, oh, so many mistakes, it's not working, we're not, you know, we're not paying ourselves, we're not getting any money, it's hard, we continue to live in our st student life, or <laughs> friends from, uh, from school, they got these jobs, they're starting to get very well paid, and you join them you know, for dinner, just for coffee, because you want to pay the bill. So this kind of, at some point, it's like, okay, what, what I'm doing with my life, you know? Uh, um, um, and I think, uh, once you start being an entrepreneur, and you see that, you have a full control of the impact of your actions, and you understand, okay, this is actually what's giving me energy, you know, solving problems, see uh, once the vision of my, directly, the, the, the direct link between the outcome of your actions and what you, what you do, uh, and if it's something that really resonates for you, you should start from the, from the scratch, because this is, there is no entrepreneurial school. Obviously, you're going to learn from the, from the field, from you know, all the mess, all the things that are going to happen. But Rod, you just raised 100 million from the biggest VCs in the world. And there, so there's clearly been monumental effort, success along the way, learning curve, challenges, not being at the same level of, uh, you know, being able to go over dinner with your friends, all these type of things. And then, you know, now it's, Wow, you, 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 you're pinching yourself. Or is it like when an uh, Olympian gets the, the gold medal and they feel flat because they're like, okay, well, now I've achieved like a landmark and then they want to go beat that record again. How do you feel right now? Uh, I'm very, I'm, I'm really playing the infinite game here. 
uh, honestly. What's, what's driving me, what's my main driver at work or at life is, is knowledge. Um, um, this comes from my academic background or engineering background, but it's, it's why I'm still learning, I'm very happy. When I'm solving problems, I'm very happy. So I, I'm putting milestones as goals. So saying, okay, let's build, let's build a unicorn. Oh, we'll see. If it happens, that's good. Uh, if it's not, but we, we've been learning something along the way. Uh, and when, it's, uh, when the statues start to happen, you're already thinking ahead, saying, okay, uh, this is just a milestone when the IPO is going. Uh, how we can become this norm? How we can become this standard of payment? I mean, this is an infinity. It's yeah. not something that is, yeah, right? The, it's the, not something where you have a sphere. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what, what um, I understand that part about uh, being intellectually curious, which sometimes when you're having to operate is something you need to protect. How are you managing to protect that through your week? Now, I'm sure you've got incredibly um, bright, curious, intellectual uh, team around you who, who, who allow you to protect some of your time for the overall strategy that only you can have as the CEO of this business. But still, it'd be very interesting to understand if there's any habits, techniques, or just a view of your, your day and week you could give us. I think you're entering in the challenge that I am having at the moment. Uh, <laughs> well spotted, thank you, Lloyd. Um, it's hard. Um, today, definitely, I don't spend enough time looking forward. Uh, I'm still very much into the day-to-day -day of the business. Uh, my learning, uh, and this is a learning I had in the last, couple, uh, last year, um, seems very, very obvious when you say it, but when you bring people that can carry your bag in a better way uh, than you do, uh, then you can start refocusing on something else. Um, and if we think about Spendless two years ago, uh, the organization, was, the team was all very young, uh, included me, uh, lacking a lot of experience in many fields, but with strong will, strong potential to learn, but the organization was basically you know, the CEO of the company with 20 direct reports, and at some point, it doesn't scale. So we started to structure organization, bringing more expertise uh, in the field, and people that can carry the bags for you, and then you start getting this time where the timeline of thoughts is no more a quarter or the next six months, but now, okay, next year, the next two years, the next five years, the next 10 years. Um, it's a discipline. It's a change of the role of CEO, and particularly you know, in the early days, you don't need to have that. You just need to execute because early days for startup, it's survival. It's just yeah. like, okay, can I, <laughs> do I have a business? Can I, can I pay the team the next month or the next quarter? But at this stage of the business of Spendless, you know, raising uh, 260 million uh, uh, of capital, uh, a company of 400, it's still the very beginning of the company, but we're entering in another play where I feel that we cannot fail as a business anymore by feeling we just getting out of money and just yeah. dying. Uh, but we clearly can fail our ambition and our mission. Yeah. Uh, and that's where my responsibility as the founder and the CEO of the company needs to shift my thinking towards the short term, towards the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Rod, I think that um, we'll do, if you'd be so kind, a whole other show where we dig into that because I'd need more time. We've, we've got several minutes because uh, your business is scaling so much, you've got things to, to go and do right now. So I'm just gonna quick fire, um, ask you just a few questions, um, just over the next five minutes so you don't 
miss your next appointment. Um, in several years, and obviously you've only got 30 seconds for this, what could Spendesk be up to? In several years, what we can be up to? Yeah. Uh, I think we can own uh, B2B, uh, B2B payments. Okay, that's big. That's massive. So you take out, you take out um, Stripe? No, Stripe is the infrastructure. Part, we could part, rely and partner yeah. on so them. So you've got Stripe and you guys as the biggest on the planet in several years? We don't share the same, we don't share the same part of the business. Yeah. But we, we give the context. You know, payment is the frontier of every exchange of businesses. We are the guys that are building this operating system. So the system you operate, not the rails, the system you operate, stakeholders operate. They're the infrastructure. You're the we system operate. they're operating. We manage the flows. You own that. Exactly. What's the TAM of that? Oh, that's a huge one. <laughs> B2B enough. payments, it's one, I think, it, yeah, it's 100, $160 trillion, uh, <laughs> something like that. No, no, yeah. This is why Tiger Group are in, <laughs> right? Um, okay, I like it. Infinite ambition. You're on a searching for Mana show. Mana is your magic, the essence. So in gaming, you have power, and then you have your mana. What would you say your mana is? Resilience in patience. <laughs> Who do you recommend would be a brilliant character to come on to the Searching for Mana show? Ah, that's a... Did you interview Jean-Charles from Alain? No. That's a good one. There we go. We'll post that out to social and he can come on. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much Thank for your you time. Thank you, Cheers.